Second message in a series, Embrace the Chase. I'm, I love speaking to you theologically and sort of challenging your mind and teaching you lots of history and knowledge. and th- I love that stuff, but we're not doing that right now. Um, that might sound bad. I don't believe that what I'm preaching is not theologically sound, but what I'm saying is in this series, I'm after your heart more than your head. I hope to provoke something in your heart more than to give you more, uh, new tools of understanding. I want to I provoke, actually, things you probably already know um, and, and just stir you and, uh, and uh, uh, hopefully awaken something inside of you to pursue, to chase Jesus with everything you have. So, um, yeah, let's get into it. I don't have any fancy intro. Uh, introduction this week. The jokes counted as my introduction. So there you go. It was a beautiful, smooth introduction. You're impressed with my communication skills, and now we get into it. There we go. Let's look at Matthew 14. It's a story you know, a famous one. This is Jesus walking on water. Let's start at verse 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves where the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. You know the story, right? Jesus feeds the 5,000, then he sends the disciples off ahead while he dismisses the crowd. And then we get to see Jesus and Peter walk on water. I just want to talk about a few different parts of this um, story. I love when Jesus, they say, Jesus, is that you? And he says, it is I. Actually, in another translation, and if you read certain commentaries, You'll, you, you'll discover this, that Jesus was actually saying, I am. Like, not just any old I am, but he's saying, I am, as in, I am. Uh, back to Exodus here. He's referring back. Literally, translations is, literally translated, it says, I am what I am, or I will be, what I will be. I'm self-existent and I'm self-sufficient. He's telling them in this moment, hey, just in case you don't know, I am God. I'm the God who led your fathers and your mothers out of Egypt and I'm here to deliver you once again. I am is on the water. It's not a ghost. It's I am. I'm self-existent. I don't depend on 
good, perfect circumstances or situations. I'm not dependent on you and your faith and your obedience. I am, in and of myself, I am complete. I'm whole. The Matthew Henry commentary, it says this, the greatest and best man in the world must say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. But God says, absolutely, I am that I am. No one contributed to who God is. No one helped him out along the way. He is who he is, self-sufficient and complete. <clears throat> if you go back to the first time we hear this in Exodus 3, <clears throat> Moses is being called by God to deliver the people out of Egypt. And Moses, you remember, Moses has some issues with this. He's not, he's not like, ooh, yeah, I'm in. Sign me up. I'll do it. He actually is reluctant. He's got some questions and concerns. The first thing he says is, essentially, I'm not worthy. Like, who, who are you, why are you picking me? I'm not worthy to do this. And, and God replies, hey, it's okay. I'll be with you. And then I love, he says, Essentially, he says, I don't know you good enough. He says, How, who am I going to say sent me? I don't know you. And God's reply to Moses saying, hey, I don't know you good enough is, I'll show you. I am. Trust me, on this journey, you will learn who I am. You'll see that I am who I say I am. You're going to learn on this, on this trip of, of delivering the people who I am. You will know me. I am is the explanation of Jehovah. I am. I am what you need. I am Jehovah Jireh, your provider. I am Jehovah Rapha, your healer. I am Jehovah Nisi, your banner, your victory. I am Jehovah Shalom, your peace. When he says, I am, he says, I am all you need. I am everything. I am the point of it all. I'm the central figure in history. It's all about me. It's to me. It's through me. I hold all things together by the word of my power. I am. That's who's sending you, Moses. And now we have Peter. Who's out there on the water? I am. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. The one who was, who the one who is, and the one who is to come. So when Jesus says, I am, just like when, God, when he said it to Moses at the burning bush, when he says to Moses at the burning bush, I am, he's actually extending an invitation to Moses. He's saying, Moses, you think you don't know me good enough, and you're probably right, you don't know me, but you will discover that I am. He's inviting him in to come and know me. Come and see me work on your behalf as your healer, as your provider, as your banner, as your peace. And so when Jesus says to Peter, I am, He's extending to Peter an invitation. Come and know me. Come out here on the water and discover who I am. 
what it means when I say I am. You see, you can't know the I am that heals from the boat. He's saying there's only one place that you're going to know I am your healer in that moment when you need a, a miracle. He's, he's saying, okay, we're in the middle of a storm. You guys are worried you're going to die. Here's your chance to get to know I am. An invitation. Come out here and get to know me. You don't, not sure you got what it takes? Don't worry, I'll be with you. Don't feel like you know me enough? Let me show you who I am. I do my best work in the storm. And I love, in my, in my life, obviously, and, and I think you're, you, you probably are in the same boat, pun intended, that I am with this story. You've probably heard it preached a thousand times. And whenever this story is preached, I have always imagined it and I've always heard it. Like Peter sees Jesus on the water and he's like, that is cool. I want to do that. Like, you know, have you ever... I, I, I kind of like card tricks, and so whenever show, somebody shows me a card trick, I'm like, okay, how do you do it? I want to figure it out, and then eventually I have to cave, and I say, okay, show me. Show me how you did the trick. I want to know how to do that trick. That's sort of how I read this story. Jesus is doing this cool magic trick, walking on water, and Peter says, hey, I want to do that. But when you read the text, that's not actually what's happening with Peter. He's not saying, hey, that's a cool trick. Can I do it? When Peter says, hey, is that you out on the water, Lord? And he says, I am. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you. Just think about that. What if he wasn't saying, you know, Jesus of Nazareth that we've been with the whole time? Like, what if he wasn't just saying, Jesus, if that's you? But what if he's responding to the I am? What if he hears Jesus say I am and he says, whoa, Lord, if, if that's you, if you're that I am, command me to come to you. The motive of Peter wasn't to get to do a cool trick. He wanted to be with Jesus. This is who you actually are. The one we've been praying for. The one we've been, that was prophesied about throughout all our history. The one who would come and deliver us again. If you're that same one, I want to be with you. Because being with you on the storm is safer than being without you on the boat. I want to be with you. I just want to be with you. I don't care if I have to walk on the water to get there. The water was an afterthought to Peter. I don't believe he was like impressed with the water. He was impressed with the one walking on the water, and he said, I want to be next to that one. I love in Exodus, remember when the children of Israel they just crossed over the sea, and it's time to go into the promised land. 
God invites them into the promised land. And I love what, you know, by the, at this point, God's kind of uh, fed up with them. I love, I love the relationship with God and his kids. Like, I can so relate. Like, I 100% love my kids, but there are certain times when I'm just like, I love you, but I would love you so much more if you were downstairs right now. Like, I just need a little bit of quiet, right? And God gets that way with Israel. He's like, Moses, I, I can't take it anymore. And so he's like, hey, you guys go on ahead into the promised land. I got I to gotta get a nap over here in the wilderness, get some distance between us. I'm just like, wow, you guys go on ahead. And I love what Moses says. He says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Just like Peter is saying, on the waves with Jesus is better than in the boat without him. Moses is saying, the wilderness with your presence is better than the promised land without you. And this is the beauty of storms. In the middle of a storm, you become acutely aware of what you are not, how weak you actually are, how small you actually are, and how little control you actually have. And in the midst of the storm, there's always an invitation. You know, in theory, that I'm your provider. But now, in the storm, let's write a story together. Let's write a story together that they'll be talking about for thousands of years. It's in the storm where we actually discover who God is and where we actually grow into who he's made us to be. So if we're going to embrace the chase, if we are going to pursue Jesus with everything we have, you cannot fully know him and avoid the storm. I don't think you learn the depth of who he is in seasons of blessing. I think we get to enjoy who he is in seasons of blessing, but it feels to me like, at least in my life and in my experience, it's in the wilderness that he digs the well in me just a little bit deeper. It's in the season of brokenness where the truth becomes just a little bit more true. So if you're going to embrace the chase, you've got to value the storm. Remember last week, we, I, uh, I shared this with you. The uh, West, Westminster Shorter Catechism says, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I love this with every fiber of my being. The purpose of my life, the highest calling on my life, is to glorify and enjoy God. 
if that's true, the highest calling in my life is God's glory and enjoying him forever. If that truly is true in my life, then I can celebrate the storm. Then I can enjoy the storm because it's in the storm where God does his best work and gets his most glory. God gets glory in the storm. Remember what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12? He says that God told him, my grace is always more than enough for you and, by, and my power finds its full expression through your weakness. So I will celebrate my weakness, Paul says, for when I'm weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of Christ living in me. I will celebrate my weakness because in my weakness, I sense more deeply the mighty power of Christ living in me. So I'm not defeated by my weakness, but delighted. For when I feel my weakness, and endure mistreatment, when I'm surrounded with trouble on every side and face persecution because of my love for Christ, I am made yet stronger. I love this last line. For my weakness becomes a portal to God's power. Whoo! If the highest calling of my life is God's glory and enjoying him forever, it sounds like the posture of my life is a position of weakness. I don't know about you, but for me, when I go through a storm, I tend to check myself, and there, there tends to be this thing of, I must have done something wrong. I must not be loved by God. I must not be as anointed as I thought I was, favored as I thought I was, called like I thought I was. Because who would send someone they love into a storm like this? And I don't really blame God for my storms necessarily. But I look at the storm and I go, I must have left him somewhere. I lost him somewhere along the way and here I am in this storm forgotten, abandoned, because of my sin. I mean, I deserve it. Maybe I'm the only one that begins to question my value and worth to, to Jesus in the storm. I don't know. But when I read these words from Paul, it sounds like the storm is reserved for those that God's inviting into something deeper. The storm is a badge of honor. It's a place where God gets glory. And it becomes the portal for me to access the power of God. There is a place where we can thank him for the storm. See, I think we don't even believe that's possible. We say, I don't know that many of you would disagree with me that it's true. Like Paul says, I delight my weakness. We go, I mean, yeah, he's Paul. But I mean, we don't even believe it's, I, I, I should just speak for myself. 
Sometimes I read this stuff and I'm like, yeah, that's great, Paul. Good for you, buddy. But us humans down here? Oh, yay, another storm. Or, or you have the picture in your heart where it's like, I know I'm supposed to delight in the storm, so I'll smile on the outside, but on the inside, I'm saying, oh, poop. I quit. But there is a place. I believe there is a place where in the, in, in the deepest of your heart, the deepest areas of your heart with authentic joy, you can delight in the storm. I felt it a few times in my life, and I'm not... I've never felt yippy skippy, I'm going through a storm, this is so great. But I know I felt the pleasure of God. I can't explain it. But in these places of deep, deep loss and pain, there's this honor. Like I was counted worthy. Because I know a father only disciplines the ones he loves. And I know he wouldn't put me in a storm if he didn't think I had what it took to get through. And so there's something, there's an invitation here. There's a portal to his power. There's an opportunity for his glory to increase in my life because the weaker I am, the more glory he gets. So I value the storm because God gets glory. The second reason I value the storm is because the storm changes me. It transforms me. 1 Peter 4.1 Since Jesus went through everything you're going through and more, learn to think like him. Think of your sufferings as a weaning. Oh, this is so good. Think of your sufferings as a weaning from that old sinful habit of always expecting to get your own way. Then you'll be able to live out your days free to pursue what God wants instead of being tyrannized by what you want. Have you ever thought of your desires as a tyranny over your life? A slave to your own desires dictated by what you want, what I feel must be true. He's saying in the middle of suffering, you're set free from the tyranny of your own heart. And you learn to think like Jesus. And you learn to pray what he prayed, not my will but yours. Freedom happens in the storm. We talk a lot about freedom from external dictators. <laughs> freedom from addiction. Freedom from poverty. Freedom from anger. And all these things, we, at least in my mind, I visualize them all out here. But at the end of the day, God's greatest work of deliverance wasn't delivering you from the enemy, but delivering you from you. You're the tyrannical dictator holding yourself captive to what you want. Because we believe that we know what makes us happy and what we want is the best for us. 
But in the storm, he ever so lovingly breaks us free from the tyranny of what we want. Second, uh, third reason why I value the storm is there is authority in the storm. Very short and simple scripture here. 2 Timothy 2.12 promise us, promises us that if we endure, we will also reign with him. Now I know Paul's talking about the someday reigning and ruling with Jesus. I know. But I believe in my life I have experienced a ruling and reigning over the storm when I come out of the storm. There's an authority over your life that you walk in when you've walked through a storm that you couldn't have got any other way. I know I, I tell this story every time, but I, I know that you all have these stories too. Where um, God did a miracle, healed my wife, and we had children. And shortly after that, we were in a life group, and uh, somebody in the life group, they had just had a miscarriage that week. And they came to life group just broken, crying. We didn't, I mean, we just prayed for them. That's all life group was. We surrounded them. And as we're praying for them, I just felt the Holy Spirit say, hey, share your story. Pray your story over them. And I just said, hey, here's what God did. Here's what God did in my wife. And I just believe God's God enough to do it again. It wasn't a powerful prayer. I didn't even have this unction like God's going to heal you. I just said, well, I mean, odds are if he did it once, he might do it again. And they were healed. And then, and then um, we met up with some friends and we were walking around the Coeur d'Alene Lake. On, on vacation over the summer. We're walking around the lake, and hey, how's life? Da, 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 da. And at one point, we stop, and they said, you know, we're really scared. We're, we've been trying to have kids for quite a while now, and nothing's happening. We, we're getting, we're, we haven't gone to the doctor, but we feel like something might be wrong. And I said, hey, I know. And I just told my story, and I said, I'll bet you God might do this again. And now after the second one, I got it. I'm like, oh, now I'm excited. Whenever, whenever I hear anyone say, and it, it probably happened, uh, I don't know, seven or eight times, where I hear somebody say, hey, we were trying to have kids and we can't, I'm like, I got this. Come on, let's pray. I know this is going to happen. And it happens. And the only way, I, I don't know, the, the only way I know of to get that authority is to go through the storm. Authority comes through the storm. So when you go through the storm, you'll have new power, new authority, like Peter walking on water. Fourth reason I love the storm is there's security in the storm. 1 Peter 5.10, And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. What do you look like on the other side of a storm? Strong, firm, and steadfast. 
So I thank you, Lord, that over the last 18 months, you have been making me strong, firm, and steadfast. I'm going to come out on the other side, and it's going to take a whole lot more than a global pandemic to rock my world. Because I'm strong, firm, and steadfast now. I, uh, maybe this goes under authority. Just the end of worship there, I had this old song ringing through my head. Um, we used to sing way back. I went to the enemy's camp and I took back what he stole from me. And I don't know, uh, Kathleen shared a prophetic word with me this week over Instagram. Uh, Bill Johnson was saying that he's just got a sense that we're coming into a season of taking back some things that the enemy has stolen. And I, don't, and I'm, I, I watched the video and I'm like, ooh, yeah, I like that. But this morning in worship, there was something in my heart like, no, 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 this is real. And I think, it's, I think it is, we're shifting now from, we got punched in the nose, we got dazed a little bit, but now the church has got her wits about her, and now it's time to go on offense. And I just felt this thing rise up in me at the end of worship, like, no, I'm going into the enemy's camp, and I'm taking back what he stole from me. Yeah. And two words I'm, I've heard so far over 2022 are alignment and restoration. Like God is realigning his church, and I so feel that here. Adjusting some things, shifting some things to prepare us for what he's got next, and then he's restoring things that the enemy has stolen. And you know, we wouldn't have got to experience that without the storm. We are now strong, firm, and steadfast. Fifth reason I love storms is the storm anchors you in the body. Because when you're a member of the body of Christ, you don't have hard times. We have hard times. Your storm is our storm. I know I've shared this one before, too. I need to get some new stories. But I remember working at the state of Idaho, Child Protective Services, and one of the ladies in the office got diagnosed with cancer. And she wasn't a member of, the ch of a church anywhere or anything. And she was going through uh, tough chemo treatment and all that and just zapped of strength and energy. And the word around the office was she's, she can't, doesn't even have the strength to make dinner for herself. She's really struggling. Like, she doesn't know how she's going to feed herself and all and I, I had never, growing up in the church, I had never, ever considered that. Like, when someone is sick, we don't even, I mean, that is not an issue. We're in this together. Not only do you have prayers, you have more, trust me, I, I've been on the receiving end of this. You have too much food. Like, you're like freezing uh, lasagnas in your, you know, in the garage for, you know, next winter or whatever. Like, you've got, you got so much food, and you got people visiting you almost every day, and you know you're covered in prayer. Your storm is not your storm, and in the storm, 
There's this love and this value for one another because I think what happens is the storm kind of rocks your priorities. Without a storm, we can get our priorities out of whack and we can get busy with this and busy with that, but, but in the storm, you kind of get shaken and you come back to, oh, what's really important? Jesus and his people. The people God's put in my You have this love for one another in the storm. 2 Corinthians 1, 7, your hard times are also our hard times. Beautiful. When we see that you're just as willing to endure the hard times as to enjoy the good times, we know you're going to make it, no doubt about it. When you have the same posture in your life, in the storm, as you do in the sunny day, we know now you got there. Now you're there. When you can walk on water like you just walked up to Jesus when he was preaching to 5,000 in the field, when you walk up to Jesus on the water like you did out there, now we know you're going to make it. You're going to endure. No doubt about it. I, I don't know about you, but I feel God increasing that sense of love and community here through the last couple of years. We, I think we were pretty good at loving each other and pretty good about valuing each other before, but what I think the storm has caused what was a theory to become a reality in my, in my heart. Now I'm, I'm like, I will fight you for community. I will, I mean, this is my body. This is my family. This is, we are one, and I'll fight for this. And there becomes, I don't know, out of me, there's more willingness to be honest and real and communicate how I appreciate people because you realize in the storm, you realize you're not guaranteed tomorrow. I need to say what I, what I believe. I need to let them know how I feel about them because here we are in the storm. What if we don't make it out of the storm? I got to say this. I got to let them know. Something happens in the storm that opens our hearts up to one another. Sixth reason. We value the storm as God comes closer. God comes closer. You know, the Psalms say that he's near to the brokenhearted. There's something about our brokenness. It's, all, it's, like, a, it's like a fragrance to him that it attracts him. It's something in that place of vulnerability. He's a good father. He knows when we need him and he comes near. Isaiah 43, 2, I love this promise. When you pass through the deep, stormy sea, you can count on me to be there with you. When you pass through raging rivers, you will not drown. When you walk through persecution like fiery flames, you will not be burned. The flames will not harm you. I had a video and I forgot to put it back there and I'm so bummed about it. Maybe I'll just show you next week. 
there's a, a testimony from a man from a Middle Eastern country. It's on the, it's on the documentary Father of Lights. I don't know if you've ever seen Father of Lights. It rocks my world every time I watch it. And I, I loaned it to somebody one time, and I said, I'm scared to loan this to you because I think you're going to watch Father of Lights, and then you're just going to leave the church and go to, like, you know, China or something. But uh, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful documentary, and, and they're interviewing this man who was persecuted for his faith. And in his broken English, he, he shows his back and the burns on his back from, like, cigarettes and from, I don't know, they were electrocuting him, all kinds of stuff. And he says, before the persecution, I was a Christian in name only. But when they burned me, I saw Jesus. When they electrocuted me, I felt his arms wrap around me. And he says, I have nothing. I had left, I had a good job. I had lots of friends and lots of family. And I had to leave everything for Jesus. And you could see in his face when he's describing the moment, probably the deepest, darkest, scariest storm of his life. He's talking about this beautiful embrace from Jesus. The love he felt in that moment. In the storm, God comes closer. Uh, last reason I love storms is there's power in the storm. Kind of talked about this before, but um, I love going back to, let me, uh, let's look at uh, Isaiah 43 too again. It's the promise of God is when you pass through the, um, deep stormy sea, you can count on me to be there with you. When you pass through raging rivers, you will not drown. When you walk through persecution like fiery flames, you will not be burned. The flames will not harm you. The promise in Isaiah is, when you walk through the waters, I'll be there. We used to sing this way, way, way back. When you walk through the waters, I'll be there. And through the flames. Water and fire. I don't know if I can make this make sense. It's so beautiful in my mind. In the Old Testament, Isaiah the prophet is painting the picture of trouble, persecution, suffering. And he says, water and fire. And we take that same picture and we bring it through the cross. And in the New Testament, Jesus comes and he invites people to experience his presence as water and fire. Remember the story in John, on the most important day of the feast, the last day, Jesus stood up and shouted out to the crowd, all you thirsty ones, come to me. Come to me and drink. 
Believe in me so that rivers of living water will burst out from within you, flowing from your innermost being, just like the scripture says. And then remember when uh, John is prophesying of Jesus, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. In the Old Testament, the water would drown you and the fire would consume you. And in the New Testament, the water and the the water refreshes you and the fire empowers you. So there is a place for us because of Jesus where we can delight in the storm. And the storm doesn't deter my pursuit of Jesus. The, the, the storm only strengthens my resolve. The storm only convicts me all the more that I'm after Jesus. And I know it doesn't, I mean, you don't have to be a prophet to say, hey, man, we've all got storms. It's a little silly right now to even say that, right? It's like, duh, we all have storms. But here's my thing. In the middle of the storm, I am committed. I'm keeping my eyes on Jesus. And I'm saying, Jesus, command me to come. I want to be with you in the storm. I want to get to the end of the storm and say, I am so glad I went through the storm. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in our lives. There's something far more worse than going through a storm. It's being left alone. If you weren't leading me through the storm, but you just left me alone. How would I know you? How would I experience your peace and your power? How would I be transformed and changed more and more into Jesus? How would I experience the beauty of community? So I say this morning, thank you for the storm. Thank you for the storm. And Lord, we just prophesy over our own hearts today. that we're going to come out of this stormy season strong, firm, and steadfast. And so just for a moment, we still our hearts, take our eyes off the waves, And we look at Jesus. 
You're not worried. So I'm not worried. You're not scared. So I'm not scared. Lord, in your eyes we see the strength we need to pursue you, to leave the boat, and to walk on the storm. In the storm, we're going to get closer to Jesus. In the storm, we're going to get closer to you. So we shake off all the weariness, all the insecurity, all the doubt, all the fear, whatever, the malaise, the apathy, shake it off. Get out of the boat, and we're coming to Jesus right here in the middle of the storm. There's a place for us right next to you. Thank you for the storm. <laughs>